Father, we do confess that we are timid and we need your boldness and your timing. We don't want to just do things brashly, but we do want to offer prayer to people and and we do want to make a difference in this world and we'd love to see it if you stepped in and you orchestrated the whole thing and then answered the prayer and then and, and people would maybe even come to Christ through it. To just do your work. We're, we're your servants. We're here to just follow you. Just lead us though. And today we're asking you to teach us from this book, the book of Revelation that is so foreign to us in so many ways. We ask that you'd help us to understand it a little better so that we can apply it to our lives and we can know what it's going to be like in the end of time. And and, uh, perhaps are we in those days today. So lead us as we study your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to... Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I don't even have to tell you the page number because it's the last book in the Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're, gonna, we're just starting today, but we're going to go through the book of Revelation, verse by verse. And uh, like I said, it's the last book of the Bible. Kind of a strange book book at times for some people, but we're going to walk through it and see what we can learn from it. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you like Sherlock Holmes? Like uh, it could be the movies, it could be the TV series, uh, you know, there's a new TV series, there's the BBC series, you know, any of those, they're good, right? Okay, you know, because a lot of people enjoy a good mystery that you find out how it works, right? Usually Sherlock Holmes is like, how did that happen? And then you find out how it all ended up working, how he knew these things and all those kinds of things. Okay, Uh, Winston Churchill, this is back in the 30s, 1930s, Winston Churchill described Russia this way. He said, Russia is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Okay, perhaps that's a good definition for the book of Revelation. But I do believe that God didn't give us this book so that we would be confused. He wanted to reveal something to us. And Revelation is a revelation. But what does it reveal? That's what we want to look at. And so let's go ahead and look at this introduction, the prologue, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, Revelation, I want to just sum it up, the book itself. Revelation reveals that Jesus is in control of the end. He's in control of the end. And when you read the back of the book, we win. (laughs) Okay? So, now, so Revelation reveals Jesus is in control of the end. That's my hypothesis, okay? So let's walk through the prologue and see how we're to understand this book. First of all, Revelation is 
an apocalypse. It starts out, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That word revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. In the Greek, it means to uncover that which is concealed. In other words, to explain the mystery. We're not supposed to be confused. It's to explain, to uncover, to reveal what God wants us to know. Now, the genre of this book, you know what a genre is? You know, there are many different genres of writing, just literature. Uh, there's poetry, there's historical, there's prose, you know, those kinds of things. Okay, so, so there's many different genres of writing. In the Bible, there's several different genres throughout the Bible. The particular genre used in the book of Revelation is called apocalyptic literature. And what that means is, in fact, there are a few books in the Bible that fit this genre. The second half of Daniel, uh, parts of Zechariah, the whole book of Revelation uh, fit this particular genre, this style. But there are some other books that aren't even from the Bible, especially from the, the two centuries prior to the time of Jesus. There were lots of writings coming out that were of this particular genre. So we know what, when people write like this, what those kinds of literature are basically about. Okay, so let me give you, um, but, but before we look at that, the, the, the genre here, let me ask you this. Why are people so interested in end time stuff? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, a lot of people are, right? Big sellers, lots of books get bought and sold and so forth on that. But why is it? I want to tell you my reasons why I am very interested in end time stuff. First of all, it is a major topic of the Bible. There's a whole book on this subject. There are several other places. Matthew 24, Jesus made a thorough teaching on what the end is going to be like. And so it is a major topic of the Bible, so it must be important. Second, the end is the end of evil. That's a good thing, right? I'm kind of looking forward to that. But even more so, In the end, I want to say this personally. I personally long for the return of Jesus Christ. I can't wait till he comes back. You know, we get these glimpses of his glory and tastes of his goodness, but just imagine when he shows up. I mean, why wouldn't we want to study this to find out what it's going to be like? And, and that's what the whole book of Revelation is going to describe for us. But it is a different kind of book. And so we need to understand some things about Revelation, about this particular genre. Apocalyptic literature has several unique features of uh, for instance, let's, uh, in general, this is not just true of, of Revelation, but of all of these kinds of books that were written during that time period. They were very metaphor-rich. Lots of metaphors. Now, that's helpful, but metaphors are very vivid, but not as precise as we would like them. For instance, the Bible calls, in the book of Revelation, it calls Jesus uh, the lion. 
from the tribe of Judah, okay? So he's a lion, okay? Well, so what does that mean? You've got a picture in your mind of what it means. It definitely does not mean he has sharp teeth and a mane, right? So it's a picture. It's a metaphor of something else. So it's not as precise as we like it, but we understand it means he's powerful and king and those kinds of things, right? Say, so there's a, it's vivid but not as precise with this idea of um, metaphors used throughout. Uh, it is presented in visions and dreams. Uh, they, it, it, the basic apocalyptic literature describes an impending sense of doom. They all talk about the end times. You know, there's a group who believe the book of Revelation is not talking about the end of time. They actually believe that because they've, apparently they forgot that apocalyptic literature of that time period will always talked about the end of time. So they've missed the literature. They, they didn't go back and study. And so like the amillennialists and so forth, they've missed it because it's clearly talking about the end of time because that's the literature, that's the genre that it's using. Impending sense of doom, violent end to history, but optimism for the believer. Okay, so we're going to be looking at this book just like other, it's, it's like other genres of that time and uh, with some of these features. Uh, let me give you uh, some principles, though, for applying apocalyptic literature, okay? The first one is be reserved. Exercise caution. As we're walking through this, you're going to be tempted to try to explain every little detail. And I would just say, hold your interpretations like this, not like this. Because you could get it wrong, right? So hold it like this. You don't want to miss it. We want to read it. We want to understand it. And I think as, it, as these things begin to take place, it'll become clearer for us. So hold your interpretations like this. Uh, be reserved. Exercise caution. Imagery communicates truth, but with less precision. Numbers are often symbolic, though they are sometimes literal as well. So how do we know? when to take the numbers literally or symbolically. Once again, in this particular genre, that, that is the case. Uh, so numbers are often symbolic. And finally, put yourself in the place of the original hearers. Remember that John is writing at the end of the first century to seven particular churches. And so what would they have understood when they heard this message? This is true for all of the Bible, by the way. Before you apply it to your own life, you want to seek to understand what was the original author saying to the original audience before you then apply it to your own life. And so we want to try to understand what would they have thought and heard when they see and read these uh, different things that we'll be talking about in the book of Revelation. Here's an outline of the whole book. Chapter 1 is an introduction, kind of setting the stage for the whole uh, book. Chapter 2 and 3 are basically letters, seven letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor, uh, specifically what was going on back then. Then chapter 4 and 5 is a scene from heaven and really emphasizes worship. 
And then what we typically think of the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, are three cycles of judgment with interludes in between the three cycles of judgment. And that's where all some, a lot of the wild stuff takes place. Okay, so we'll get there. Um, chapter 20 through 22 is the judgment and then the new Jerusalem. So that's a basic outline. So, so the purpose of the book, to warn and encourage the suffering Christians of the first century and to reveal God's plan for the end. This book was helpful for the people back then, helpful for the people throughout church history, helpful for us who are living towards the end of time. And so we want to dig in and see what we can get from this book. Okay, so let's go back to this, okay? So it is an apocalypse. So the first part of verse 1, apocalyptic literature has several unique features. But then secondly, we want to see that Jesus is at the center of the apocalypse, okay? It says the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now that word, from Jesus Christ, some translations say the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Because that this could either be an objective, subjective, uh, objective or subjective genitive, okay? Are you really interested right now? Okay. This is some English, you know, discussion here, okay? Uh, an objective genitive means that Jesus would be the object rather than the subject. So, in other words, the revelation of Jesus, if it's objective, Okay, but it could be the revelation, a subjective genitive, meaning it's the revelation by Jesus, or as the NIV translates it, from Jesus. So it could either be from him, meaning he's giving the revelation, or it could be about him, meaning he is what the revelation is about. You see that? Now, some scholars actually call this a plenary, uh, a, a plenary uh, genitive, meaning it's both. Uh, in the Greek, it's probably, the NIV is correct, from Jesus Christ. But the book itself is all about Jesus. We do not want to miss that, okay? He is at the center of this revelation. And it is amazing. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God 28 times in this book. He is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Lion and the Lamb, the Word of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and many other ways in which he's referred to in this book. It is all about Jesus Christ. If you get bogged down in trying to figure out all the details and miss Jesus in this book, you have missed everything. It is all about him. It starts with an incredible picture of Jesus in verse 12 on. And I can't wait till we get there because it just describes him in all his glory. You're like, whoa, that's Jesus. I mean, so it describes him there. In chapter 5, it talks about him as the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth as our sacrifice. We, we see later it talks about him as the... the uh, the bridegroom coming back for his bride, the church. It talks about him as the conqueror of Satan himself. And I can't wait for that, right? Coming on the horse with a sword in his mouth. And da -da -da -da, you know, okay, this is Jesus. This is what the whole book all the way through is all about Jesus Christ. 
I want to turn to chapter 3, verse 20. Look at this. This is just one of the things he says to, to one of the churches, one of the seven churches in the letters. He says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He is inviting us to a relationship with himself. And as we walk through this book, we will see him clearer and clearer. And and that relationship should be growing as we're learning more about him, as we're seeing him for how wonderful he is. I get mad at people who slam evangelical Christianity uh, with their false caricatures of us. We're the people who all they do is talk about politics or this or that or whatever. This, they miss the heart of evangelicalism. What I see being taught churches all over the world, the heart of evangelicalism is that God himself, because we're sinners and can't save ourselves, the second person of the Trinity took on a second nature, that of humanity. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. He taught great teachings, healed the sick, cast out demons, and then died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. He paid the penalty we were supposed to pay for our sins. Then he rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended up into heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit on his church, and sent us out on a mission, preaching the gospel that says that if you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will be born again, not just get fire insurance, but you will actually enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This kind of relationship where you fellowship with him, you eat with him. That's a metaphor, by the way. Okay. Okay. So do you see that? This is what it's all about, this personal relationship. That's why we're still here, to share this good news with other people. Now, we're going to meet Jesus throughout this book as we go through it verse by verse. Let me read you something from Scott Duvall's book, The Heart of Revelation. He says... From cover to cover, Revelation is all about Jesus. Ancient authors often provide the title of the book and a summary of its contents in the opening line, and Revelation follows suit, the revelation from Jesus Christ. The Greek term apocalypsis, revelation, refers to something unveiled, revealed, or made known. Revelation relates to what happens at the end of history, to be sure. But first and foremost, it's a book about Jesus. It tells us who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. We learn that Jesus is one with God and shares with him the throne of the universe. We see how he carried out God's plan as the Lamb of God by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead. We read of his presence among the churches as the shepherd Messiah who knows and cares for his people. We take hope in his promise to return as the warrior judge to conquer evil. The lamb is also the lion, but also as the bridegroom coming for his bride, the church. Think of it this way. Revelation gives us the theological icing on the cake of the Jesus story provided in the four gospels. I love that. (laughs) You know, our kids in Connection Kids, they are studying Jesus 
in the Gospels. That's what they're going through in Connection Kids right now, actually. We're studying Jesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the main theme of Revelation. I have, and this is my own personal opinion. You can disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine, okay? It's my political position. I have high expectations for our country with the new presidency and the new direction. That's just, once again, just my personal opinion. Any movement away from the one-world government the Bible predicts will come from the Antichrist, any movement away from that is a good one, okay? But listen to this. My hope is in Jesus not Donald. (laughs) Duvall goes on to say, he says, the world is broken and cannot be fixed apart from Christ's final intervention. That is absolutely true. We want the kingdom to come in all its fullness. We long for things to be the way they're supposed to be. In the final sentence of Revelation, Jesus promises to return. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And so our constant prayer remains, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. So it's all about Jesus. Jesus is at the center of the apocalypse. But also, we are living in the end times. If you notice our passage, it says that he's going to show his servants what must soon take place. Later, he says at the very end of verse 3, the time is near. We are actually living in the end times because the end times began at the day of Pentecost. Okay, so you're thinking, that was like 2,000 years ago, right? Okay, yes, ever since then, we've been in between the times. But I also believe that the very end is about here. We have, um, I, I preached through Matthew 24. I preached through Daniel. We have both of those series on our website, if you're interested, that shows why I believe that we are actually in the very end of time. And we'll, we're going to see much of that as we go through the book of Revelation. Many of the signs of what the very end is like and how we can see, wow, we are there. It is that close. Uh, Daniel Aiken explains this idea, though, when it seems to say the time is near, and you're thinking the time is near. It's been 2,000 years. How do we understand that? He says this, the things in this revelation uh, must quickly or will soon take place. This phrase occurs seven times in Revelation and emphasizes imminence and expectancy. We must put this phrase in biblical and theological context. Hebrews 1-2 teaches we are now in these last days. James 5-9 tells us the judge stands at the door. 1 John 2-18 affirms it is the last hour. He said that way back then. Alan Johnson, not our famous Alan Johnson of our church, but a different Alan Johnson, he says this. In eschatology and apocalyptic literature, the future is always viewed as imminent. The church in every age has always lived with the expectancy of the consummation of all things in its own day. Imminent describes an event that is possible any day, impossible no day is how he describes it. But that it's imminent. So the church throughout history has believed that it was in the end times. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing because it encourages us that the time is short. Now, I do believe, though, that we can see that there are signs that God has given us to know that we are actually in the very end of time, and we will be looking at those things to see if, in fact, that is true or not. Okay? So, Revelation is an apocalypse. It, it is something that reveals to us God's plan, and we're supposed to understand it, at least the basics of what he's saying. And he goes on, verse 1b through 2, Revelation is the word of God. He says, he made it known, meaning Jesus, made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, through the angel, shared this information to John. God himself gave this revelation and made sure there were no errors in it just like the whole of the Bible. As God speaks through the prophets, He makes sure they give the exact words He wants them to give, and therefore the Bible is fully and completely trustworthy. And that is also true of the book of Revelation. It is the Word of God, it says, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Theopneustos is the Greek word there. It literally means God breathed. God breathed the very words to the the apostle John here, uh, to the prophets of all of the scripture to make sure we had the very words of God so that we wouldn't be confused about what is right and what is wrong and so that we could have a complete trustworthy word. God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's Word is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's powerful, and it's also beautiful. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 speaks of how perfect the words of God are. And doesn't that make sense? That if God were to speak, if God actually cared about us human beings, that he would speak to us in such a way that we would not have to wonder, was that really from him or not? He gave us his word so that we can know what the truth is. And he gave us revelation so that we could know what the end is going to be like. And then he finishes verse 3. Studying and living out revelation brings a blessing. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Here we see a blessing. This is actually the first of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Joy in the midst of chaos. So as we walk through the just the horrific chaos that's going to be coming about, we also receive these blessings. And don't you want to be able to experience blessing in the midst of chaos? Okay, so, so here's the first one. This is the first of the Beatitudes. We need God's blessing to help us through the difficult things that we face in this life. When my brother died, that was 20... Two years ago, I believe. The gut-wrenching pain that I felt 
the emptiness of his absence could only be filled with the hope that I have in God. I do not know how people get through such difficult, horrific things that they experience in this life without Jesus. He wants to be there for you. This is what we see in this book, is that he promises to walk with us even in the darkest of times. When my son nearly died in a motorcycle accident this summer, only Jesus and his word could bring me peace. And the message of Revelation that we win in the end and Jesus is at the center of all of this can help us through any amount of suffering that we must endure in this life. And so as we walk through this, I hope that this really does uh, become a blessing for you and help you through whatever dark times that you're experiencing or that you will have to experience in this life. The Bible says that it was meant to be read in the church. It says specifically, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That does not mean that if you just take the book out in the woods and read it aloud, you get a blessing. It's specifically referring to this book is supposed to be read and they John expected it to be read in the churches, to be read and, and uh, explained. This actually comes from the pattern of the early church, which borrowed that pattern from the Jewish synagogue, where they would simply read a passage of Scripture and then explain it. And that was their pattern. We see that in Nehemiah 8, verse 8. This was the pattern that God gave us for the worship service that we are to be gathered together to worship him and hear his word preached. And that word is going through one of the books, read it and explain it. It's what we call expository preaching. It's not the topical fluffy stuff where, you know, seven ways to have a, you know, happy life or what any of that stuff. It's digging in the word verse by verse. This is what they did in the biblical times. And it's specifically, we need to understand this, this is a gathering of God's people. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. This is a verse that's very important to end times beliefs, okay? Hebrews 10, 25 specifically speaks of the end times, and, and it brings out what we're talking about here. Look, let, well, to get the context, we'll start in verse 24. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see that last phrase? What's he talking about? The day approaching. The end time, the judgment, the ultimate judgment, what we're going to be reading about in Revelation. Notice he says that we should... Continue to gather together. And this is specifically talking about worship. The Greek word is synagogoge. It's hard to say. Synagogoge. Okay. Do you hear the word synagogue in it? Synagogoge. It means to gather together for worship. So specifically, this is a reference to gathering together regularly for worship as the body of Christ. Don't forsake that. Don't stop doing that as, as some are in the habit of doing. Bad habit. 
Okay. But instead, encourage one another, but all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if it says all the more as you see the day approaching, doesn't that mean you can see the day approaching? So any idea that we can't know, of course, we cannot know the day or hour. The Bible talks about that very, very clearly. But to say we can't even know the signs, seasons, or times is in direct conflict with this verse. It says, as you see the day approaching, meaning we can see the day approaching, right? We can know. God gave us these signs so that we could know what the end will be like and if we are, in fact, in the the very end of time. And so... uh, and, and by the way, so therefore, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, uh, especially as we see the day approaching. So let's gather together every week, and we'll study the book of Revelation. How's that? Okay. All right. Well, anyway. Okay. It was meant to be read in church, but it was also meant to be lived out. He specifically says, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. And so you can't just hear it and think that just through osmosis you get a blessing, okay? It has to be left out. The benefit, to benefit from the blessing, we must walk out the content of this book. I have a book called How to Stay Alive in the Woods, A Complete Guide to Food, Shelter, and Self-Preservation Anywhere, okay? I started reading a long time ago. I'm actually only on, like, page, uh, let's see what page am I on. I'm on page 80, so, I'm, you know, I'm kind of slow in reading it here. But, but you know, how to survive in the woods. So, so let me just, if I were to ever finish reading it, okay, um, and I, then I get stuck out in the woods somewhere, in order for this to be a blessing to me, and I actually have to practice what I read, right? Right? It tells you what foods and nuts and berries you can eat and, you know, how to make a shelter and all those kinds of things. But if I didn't practice what I read, the book would be useless if I got stuck in the woods, right? Does that make sense? Same with this, the book of Revelation. We have to live it out. And so we want to live, listen to it, but allow it to change our lives. But I, want to do, I do want to say, we do need to know about the end times. Revelation is a revelation. He says, because the time is near. It is a revelation. He wants us to know about the end of time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 1, it gives this idea that we can't know the day or hour, that uh, the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. Okay, look at, look at what it says. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Okay, now, we... St- most people just stop there. Oh, it's coming like a thief at night, so we can't know anything about when the end's going to be like. Okay? But read on. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. He gave us what he calls in Matthew 24 the birth pangs of what the end will be like when these things happen more and more frequently and in greater and greater intensity, we know we're in the very end. And so we know these things. So he doesn't want us to be in the dark about what the end is going to be like. Revelation is a revelation. In your bulletins, I have uh, Jeff Spoden. He actually told me, uh, you should write a Bible track about the end times. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. So I wrote a Bible track, okay? You remember these things back in the old days? You know, the Bible tracks, okay? So I wrote a Bible track, Are We Living in the End Times? And basically it just gives uh, some of the, really, really briefly, some of the reasons why I think we're close to the end, okay? Some of those birth pangs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 as well as in the book of Revelation, okay? But then I give the gospel. How can I be saved? If we're getting close to the end, you probably want to make sure you're saved, okay? You can take this and share this with people. Get them thinking. They read it and, wow, I wonder if we are getting close to the end. Maybe I should start thinking about Jesus, and this will share with them how they can come to know Christ personally. It gives information about our church. And so forth. So take this, share it with someone. Invite them to church. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation probably for a little while. You know me, verse by verse. So we're going to be talking about this subject for a while. So invite people to this. Let me uh, finish with Duval. He starts his book by making this statement. He says, Revelation is the strangest book in the whole Bible. In chapter 6, a lamb opens six seals on a scroll that leads to riders on different colored horses dealing out judgments. Then souls under the heavenly altar cry out to God, followed by a huge earthquake, causing the sun to turn black and the moon blood red and the whole world to come apart. In the rest of the book, we read about the 144,000, the great multitude in heaven, locusts from the abyss, John eating a little scroll, two witnesses, a red dragon and two beasts, Armageddon, Babylon the Great, a heavenly warrior on a white horse, the millennium, the lake of fire, and the new Jerusalem coming out of the sky. The list of strange images is bewildering to say the least. If you're both drawn to Revelation and confused by it, you're not alone. Okay. But then he makes this statement. It certainly seems like all of Christendom responds to the book of Revelation in one of these two ways, willful ignorance or fanatical obsession. Doesn't it seem like that? Either I don't, it's too weird for me, I'm just going to ignore it. But it's a whole book in the Bible. It's got to be important. So that can't be the the response to his word. But fanatical obsession, it's one of the books of the Bible, but it's very important. So hopefully we will uh, navigate a medium course here where we're going to dig in, see what it says about the end times, see what it says about Jesus, and draw us near to him and help us to become better Christians. If you allow this book to lead you to a closer walk with Jesus, to prepare you for whatever difficulties and sufferings are in the near future, and to stir you to share your faith with a greater fervency, then you will have truly been blessed by revelation. Let's pray.
I want to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare our hearts. And we seek you, Lord. 